Welcome to episode number 36 of the Animals at Home podcast. My name is Dylan. Thank you very much for tuning in this week. A couple housekeeping things before we jump into today's episode. The first is basically every time I record an intro to the podcast, I always say an update video for my animals is coming. And this time I'm actually not lying. I did record the video yesterday. So I have an update of the jungle carpet python as well as my day gecko. And I actually showed my Brazilian rainbow boa and one of my other boas in the video as well. So if that is something you want to see, definitely go subscribe on YouTube. It should be out within the next week. There's not a ton of editing to do with that one. So last week I got to participate in something really cool. One of my close friends is a sixth grade school teacher and he created a project for his students to work on this year. Essentially they are getting to write and record their own podcasts. I think the podcast episodes are just around four to five minutes and I think he gave them pretty much creative freedom to do whatever they like and basically the students went off on their own, created their own script over a few weeks and I think this week they were actually recording some of them. Some of them have been sent to me and they're awesome. I, I really enjoyed listening to them. So last week I was able to go into the classroom and just discuss podcasting in general from you know the things that I've learned within the last year give them some tips on how to interview and how to you know ask guests to come on the show as well as how to just you know do a solo episode and the story behind my show and whatnot and of course you know being my show about animals the kids had tons of questions about my animals and the reptiles which was a real it was a blast to answer those questions so I really enjoyed my time being there and it was such a cool project. For one, it was really cool to see how engaged the kids were in their shows and how amazing these shows turned out. And then the second thing was it was just great to see the eagerness and the passion that these kids had for animals. They all had just so many questions and, and it, it was really a lot of fun. And actually two of them came up to me ask, after and asked if I could give their YouTube channels a shout out. And of course I could not say no. So I want to shout out the YouTube channel, The Podcatsters and Mark's Gaming Channel. So both of those will be in the show notes as well as the YouTube description. So definitely go by and uh, check those channels out. Again, thank you guys very much for having me. I hope you're listening to this now. I had a blast. Now, if you are enjoying the Animals at Home podcast, definitely consider giving it a five-star rating on the iTunes podcasting app or leave a review. I love reading the reviews that you guys leave. They're always incredibly interesting. You can go to animalsathome.ca slash shop and pick up an Animals at Home t-shirt. $5 does get donated to the Amazon Rainforest Conservancy. And also share the content. Share it with your friends and your family and on Facebook. That is the best way to help me if you are enjoying the show. I want to thank our sponsors, CustomReptileHabitats.com. You will always find links to them in the description as well as the show notes, which is an affiliate link. So if you do end up purchasing something, a commission does get kicked back to me, which of course I really appreciate. If you are in the need of anything reptile related, definitely go check them out. They have a ton of equipment. They're also the only place that sells maximum reptile enclosures, which are a brand new enclosure on the market. Definitely go check these enclosures out. They are going to be a game changer, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how these develop over time. So CustomReptileHabitats.com, go check them out. Joining me on today's podcast is Richard from the YouTube channel Northern Exotics. Richard and I both started on YouTube roughly around the same time, about two years ago, and it was really great to have him on. He shared some pretty personal and inspirational stories, something that he's not really explained on his channel, so it was great to give him a chance to fully explain those stories. Of course, we chatted about a bunch of different topics regarding reptiles, including reptile rescues and pets being released into the wild. He also raised some really interesting questions, particularly one about UV lighting and different morphs. So that's near the end of the conversation. This was a really incredible question, something that I definitely want to dig into some more. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Without anything further, here's my conversation with Richard. All right. Well, Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for being here. Thanks for having me, Dylan. Well, I think we can have an interesting conversation. I'm pretty sure we started our 
adventures online, we can call it around the, a similar time, like a year and a half or yeah, about a year and a half, two years ago or something. I think we both kind yeah, of appeared they're, they're online. About. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to hear your perspective on some things before we jump into that stuff. Were, were reptiles part of your childhood? Is this something that you were, were always part of uh, how you grew up or is this, did you grow into them in a way? I sort of, I've always had a fascination. There's always been that fascination. Mainly my fascination started with wildlife and the outdoors and all that sort of stuff. Reptiles only came to me sort of five years ago. Wow. Uh, there, there, yeah, only around about five years ago. So I'm fairly new to the hobby sort of thing. Um, but I've always had that fascination. I remember one of my friends first got one. And that was back in the day where there wasn't that much information out there. So we had the old little monk field enclosure with a little bearded dragon inside. Now, nowadays, we know UVB and all that sort of stuff, all that sort of lighting. But no, reptiles only came to me best part of five years ago uh, as a pet in the hobby sort of thing. So, so no pets as a, as a child in your, as you were growing up? Oh, don't get me wrong. There was loads of pets just for exotic pets. Uh, that was only five years ago. I mean, we had, I remember what we had a cockatiel. Um, the cockatiel got passed down through the generations of the family. I never knew they lasted 20, 25 years. This one died only recently, uh, last year. Um, he was 29 years old. Twenty. We, we all called him oven ready because he plucked his feathers all the time. Yeah, well, they do They do live a long time. And so is that, um, do you know where that fascination with wildlife came from? Or is that just how you always were? Do you know, I think it was the way I was brought up. Uh, we weren't because there was my mum and dad they're still together and all that sort of stuff but then there was four children so it was far too expensive for me family to go out to theme parks and stuff like that for days out so we went to the forest for a walk we went to the canal when my mum got a bit annoyed because we were all sort of nagging all the time my dad would take us fishing and it's just we were always outdoors our days out were just outdoors and I think that's what it come from um, my dad's stuck in an office in his work van and all that sort of stuff so it was nice for him to be outside in the in the wild and he just passed that fascination on to all of us as well I think that's about where it come from I think <laughs> yeah it's always good to be able to appreciate your the native habitat you live in especially being in England and me being in Canada it's there's you don't have those amazing species like in Africa like Africa where they have these incredible species that everybody goes to see but but if you can appreciate the small like you know the deer or the birds that live there that that's the best place to start oh for sure for sure I suppose it's a little bit different for you guys because your winters are really harsh (laughs) ours are not as bad as that we still get the odd animal out in the winter all your decent species they're all hibernated for the winter yeah they hunger down a little bit different yeah that's it for us it's a little bit different uh, we still get all the hibernation and stuff like that, but there is still some tracks out there. There's still animals out there. We get our, all of our wild rabbits and all that sort of stuff, and it's fascinating to see them, especially come sunset time. And you can you shine your torch, and you can see the eyes glow up, and you can see them anywhere through the sand dunes or the forest. You can see them anywhere, so it's dead nice to even get out then, nice and cool, wrapped up in a big thick coat. Off you go. Yeah, it it is just so good to get away from the cities and the towns hey just just get into the nature and you just nothing feels better than going for a walk in the forest oh that's it and you can do it any time of the year it doesn't have to be a big forest just off you go go for a walk and see where you end up that's one thing that's the good thing with modern day if you do get lost you've always got google maps on your (laughs) phone you can find your way home easily enough (laughs) yeah you're not gonna uh, have to spend weeks inside a forest so when you were younger did you have a a sort of a dream career to work with animals did you think about them that way no my dream career was to be an archaeologist 
and that, but for, through the school years, I didn't really go to school. Come sort of twelve years old, back then it wasn't. It was a legal requirement, but I only went to school one or two days a week, and I went to work with my dad. Uh, my dad had a bad fall, and he couldn't work. He was self-employed. He was a gas heating engineer, um, so I went to work with him, just a labourer lifting stuff, and that lasted for seven years. And um, and I had no ambition of being in the animal industry, none at all. Um, I loved going to the zoos. I loved going to all the shops and the pet shops. You go to the retail parks where we've got loads of different shops. There's always a pet shop there, Pet Smart, Pet Co. Uh, here we've got pets at home. Go in, have a look around. That was that was the highlight of the thing. My mum would go shopping and we'd all go into the pet shop. Uh, but I never had an ambition to be in the industry at all. Nothing at all. Yeah, so it's a very it's an interesting story because you that it's very different than the average person. Like so many the average people, they fall in love with animals when they're young, and then they they want to pursue some kind of animal career. So you're coming at it from a very different side than than I think than the majority. Not everybody's like that, but the majority for sure are, are yeah. you know have a you know, a goal like that. And I know that your story is also very different than than most people. You have not taken the average path in a lot oh, of ways, no. and. And you, you've kind of alluded to this uh, in some points, I think maybe on your Instagram or on your YouTube channel, but you've never fully expanded uh, into your story. So I, oh, I was hoping no. you could tell us that story. Well, my life, it's always been a case of trying to provide for everybody else but myself. It's always been that way. Um, and I was in a relationship. We had a child uh, along those lines. And that teetered to an end, so to speak. And um, it left me homeless. Um, I was homeless in my car. This time, only 12 months ago, I was homeless. And um, I've slowly, slowly come around to that. I was homeless for ooh, three months, four months. So it wasn't that long compared to a lot of people out there. Um, yeah, it's, I've never actually spoke about this. <laughs> but yeah, um, finally got myself a place. Now, the only reason I actually, while I was homeless I come to this epiphany that I didn't realize I'd never actually do anything for myself uh, that came to me one day when I went to the sand dunes there's a, a local beach it's about 45 minute drive away and I'm just sat on top of the sand dunes I think it was about two o'clock in the morning midwinter no clouds in the sky a few rabbits running around there was even a badger running around which was odd for that time of year and the sky was just littered with stars and I thought yeah this is me and it was nice to finally feel something that I wanted. I wasn't doing something for anybody else. Um, so that's where a lot of the passion, the further passion came to improve. Um, started looking at myself a lot differently and going down the lines of what do I want? And it was, an, uh, I felt really selfish thinking about that. What do I want? Do you know what I mean? It's a weird one that one was. But I just followed that up, kept on what do I want? What do I want? But still keeping that helping everybody else out in the in the sort of behind the scenes sort of thing. And now, because I found out what I want, my happiness, my little space, so, so to speak, um, I'm working on that, still working on that to this day, it's not there. But then pushing it even further and going out a bit. So sort of helping everybody because everybody tried to help me sort of thing. It's a weird, it's a hard one to explain. It really is. It's just that epiphany moment changed my life that one little thing sat on top of the dunes so at that point you were still homeless correct yeah yeah i i was homeless in my car but this is how far it went um the 
female at the time, my son's mother, um, she had my bank card. She didn't feel independent. She had my bank card and I worked away. Um, so I was away in hotels and everything. And come back, that ended at the first day of a week's holiday. I ended up taking two months off then uh, just to try and get myself back on my feet, so to speak. Um, but I still parked, I slept in my car. So I still parked the car only five minutes away from hers just in case she needed me, just in case my son needed me. But that was the, me the mentality that I was in. Um, and that's the mentality that I lived for years before that as well. I'm there if they need me. And then taking that one step and going to the beach that one night, um, I think I got woke up by a lorry and I just thought, I can't get back to sleep. I'll go down the beach and sit on top of the dunes and just watch the surf come in. It was something nice I thought of. And it felt like I was there for two minutes. Turned out I was there for six or seven hours. <laughs> wow. That's, it's amazing the mentality you get into and how you can pull yourself out of it. But it's yourself that's got to do it. Nobody's going to do it for you. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it, you, it's easy to get stuck. There's only so much you can help others if you're not helping yourself, right? You kind of get exactly. stuck into the thing. And that's why you do have to take a step back and, and help yourself. And it's, it's amazing that, I mean, you say three months isn't that long. To anybody listening, three months sounds like an eternity living in your car. Like I can't imagine, especially in the wintertime. Yeah, minus three degrees on most nights, which to you guys, that's nothing. But for so us, I'm not sleeping sad, outside at minus three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So, like, that's how, how do you how did you keep moving through that time? Like, what like what was motivating you? To. you just have to. You've got to. It's either one way or the other. The right. best way is to go that way. And um, I mean, I had some motivations. Don't get me wrong. I wanted to get. Um, because my animals, my um, harder to care for animals, they went to a local reptile shop of mine um, just to look after them for a while. And I was there most days checking up on them and helping them out. I paid them in favors. So I was there working and I was working hard, doing the meaningless jobs. So like dusting the shelves off, dusting all the stock, cleaning the glass, all that sort of stuff. But that paid for those animals to be there and be looked after properly. Some of the animals stayed with her. She said she could look after them. Lo and behold, she didn't look after them properly. I should have saw that one coming at the time, but that was that one done. Um, I forgot where I was going to go with that one. So what, what <laughs> animals did you have that, that uh, you, you uh, relinquished to the shelter while you were homeless? Oh, God. There was, um, I had quite a lot at the time. Uh, Madagascan giant day geckos, uh, my bearded dragon. I had a couple of leopard geckos, corn snakes. The sort of what you class as beginner species, a royal python, you guys call them bull pythons. Um, I'd never had anything massive at the time. They looked after my um, cockroach colony and a few other bits like that as well. Uh, she looked after um, my dart frogs. I had a big dart frog. I say a big dart frog collection. I had three different species, but they were in big, elaborate uh, bioactive enclosures. They were beautiful. They were. Um, what else did I have? I think I had... Do, 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 do. I think I had a baby boa constrictor as well, only a yearling boa constrictor. Uh, but I think that's all I had at the time. But yeah, the pet shop looked after the, the majority. She looked after a few of them. And um, as, and, as and when I went back to see my son or to pick up my son to take him out, I had a look at them, checked them out, gave him a mist and stuff like that. Um, but again, I could only see him. I took him to school every day and I picked him up every day while I wasn't working because, like I said, I took that month off. And um they didn't make it, the frogs, unfortunately. But that was my motivation to get through um, that period was I needed a place to put my animals to get my little sanctuary built up. 
because that was another thing with the epiphany that I had on top of the sand dune. I could create a space that I wanted, how I wanted to lay it out, the mood and everything that I wanted in there. I could do it how I wanted to do it. And then I could have my son actually stay the night with me. I could see him as soon as he woke up in the morning. I could put him to bed at night. And that that's the only thing that really kept me going forward. Right. So it's almost like having a space and doing this thing for yourself was so foreign to you at the time. But all of a sudden, when it clicked, it clicked. You're like, let, let me get out of this situation. And, and Yeah, that's right. So so what? how did you do that? How did you go from living in a car to to having your own place? We've got, um, I don't know how it works anywhere else. I think some places call it social housing. Uh, we Here, we call it council housing. but And they give houses to uh, people that are on benefits and stuff like that, just to help them out and whatever. But for working people, they don't do it. But my local council, they put up five houses or five places every week on the um, rent, house renting sites, just like your Zoopla and various uh, sites. And I saw one on there and I just clicked on it randomly one night, sat in my car, had a look at it. And it says, explain your situation. So I explain my situation. The very next morning, nine o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call saying, um, do you want to come down and have a look at, we've got some keys. We can take you around a few places, have a look and see what's happening. Like, yeah, bonus. Dropped my lad off to school, went round, and they they just gave me three pairs of keys and said, go and check these places out, see what you think. Come back and see us in an hour. So I did that. And it, for them to just give me keys, they don't know me. It's a big corporate company. They don't have a clue who I am. They just gave me the keys and said, go and have a look. And I did. So I went around and had a look, checked out the prices of everything, went back to them and said, I like this one. And they said, okay, then here's your key. I was like, what? And then uh, we worked out all the finances. It really wasn't that expensive. Um, I only had to give them £80, and then they gave me a key. Wow. And that was it. Uh, moved, I, I say I moved in. It was very bare inside there. But that was a big shift because uh, I got used to being in the car. But it sounds really not that pleasant sleeping in the car. But I kind of got used to it. And I enjoyed, being a, I enjoyed getting woken up at 5 o'clock in the morning by a lorry zooming past me and then looking up and just seeing the stars. I really did like that. And when I moved into the place, I, I struggled to sort of adjust to it to the point where I actually spent another night in the car just out there, just sort of like, wow. I don't know, saying goodbye, so so to speak. I don't know. But it, it, I struggled to get into my own place. That's and then, amazing. Um, yeah, that's it. It was um, a fascinating little twist I didn't expect, so to speak. Um, but yeah, finally got the keys, went there, and I'm like, right, what can I do now? It's no wallpaper. No carpets, no nothing. And to this day, it's still not perfect. It's not going to be perfect, I don't think. But I've got my animals there. My son sleeps over a couple of times a week, and it's just it's local to him as well. So if I need to pick him up, spur of the moment for whatever reason, I can. And um, yeah, I get to see him a lot more now, and I get to say good night to him. Yeah, I mean, nothing beats that. No, nah, nothing beats that. <laughs> That's a, that. That is really amazing to rewind the clock. <laughs> 12 months ago and that's the situation you were in that's it's it is amazing how impossible it would be to tell like when you're watching your videos like there's just no way anyone could pick up on that because you you just seem like you're in a great space you're you're happy and I mean I, I think you are but it's it's not like you're complaining about this situation that you went through it's like you had a goal to get over it and you you, you fixed it and now you're where you are now that's amazing I mean on the on the videos you can see from the very first few videos where I was and then I went for a spell of I think around about two or three months where I only uploaded once or twice 
and they were when I recorded while I'm sat in the car and I'm just pretending like I'm sat in the car. No, that, that was me. I just woke up that morning in the car. <laughs> That's but amazing. I've still got the video out there. Yeah, that, that's that's incredible. So at at one point, obviously, you have this new place, and now you can start bringing the animals back in. Did you go back to the rescue and and grab some of your animals, or every single one of them? As I got the key, and then I I went to the local car hire place, hired a van straight down to the reptile store. Right here we are, mate. I've got all my stuff, and they were that they were that good with me. They helped me. They had a couple of students, zoology students and stuff like that, working there, getting a bit of experience. But yeah, go and go and just give them a hand, lift these enclosures because I've went into an upstairs flat, an apartment upstairs. So they had to help me lift them up the stairs and stuff like that. And they were great, absolutely fascinating. But then I got them in there and I realized, oh, my electric's not been turned on. So it's rushing around, getting that sort of thing turned on. Got it all sorted within the hour. Got the animal. It must have took me three hours to get the majority of the animals in there, but they were all just sort of, because you think I had no furniture. Right. I had nothing but a carrier bag of work clothes. And I was like, what do I do now? But I got them all in there within a couple of hours. Because you were still working at this time, right? Yeah, yeah, I was still yeah. working. Like I say, I took that month off uh, just to sort of get myself. I didn't want to take that month off. Work made me take that month off. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, took the month off and yeah but so you either other than that once you were moving everything in you were still working so you didn't have any you could you could pay to get things going but you just didn't have a place so then you were bringing everything in and what did that feel like once you had everything set up again do you know what it was scary it was, was it? really really pleasant sat there and i could do whatever i wanted with the animal i could get whatever i wanted out whenever i wanted out but i'm sat there thinking it, it wasn't a scary thought, but I don't know why it was scary. I remember sitting there thinking, right, yes, oh, right. <laughs> I, 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 it's just a weird feeling. It really was. But I, the moment when I got up in the morning and checked my animals, did my general walk around in the morning to check on them, check out. I had a crested gecko at the time, so I was checking him out, made sure spot cleaning him. And that random thing, sitting down after that and going, sort of like a deep exhale, that, that's nice. Just sat there in your own place. I had no sofa, so I was sat on the floor and the enclosures were just rushed into the um, rushed into my place. So they were just sort of dotted on the floor sort of thing around. And I was like, it's still, it's the best feeling ever. But it was scary at the time. And I don't know why to this day, I still don't know why. I've not analyzed it, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So do you think that caring for the animals because obviously you have a very altruistic personality. You seem to want to step out and help others before yourself. Do you think oh, yeah, that for sure. caring for the animals helps you with that? It, it provides you with an outlet to care for something while simultaneously being able to care for yourself in a way? Because obviously there have you been know, times in your in life way, where, where you've done more than you should for others, I guess, maybe, if you could put it that way, and, and it ended up hurting you. Does the animals help you with that? Um, yeah, in a, in a roundabout way. I mean, I just like to help people. It makes me, um, especially regarding animals, um, if somebody's got a problem, I always like to help them. It just makes me feel good. Like, say you've got a bull python that's not feeding. Somebody's reached out to you. Uh, take, for example, um, I've had a recent one about three months ago. She tried to, she had a royal python up for sale. And um, so I messaged her saying, why are you selling? And she said, but he's not feeding. It was, she was dead open in the actual description of the for sale sign. Uh, he's not feeding. He's not fed for a few months. So I, went, I actively went around there. And then, well, if you try this and you try this and you try this, it might actually help. 
in the long run. It turns out they'd recently gone over to a naturalistic setup and the Royal Python didn't like it, went off his food. It's well known that they go off their food for the simplest of things. So I've said, go back to the basics and you'll probably find it fed. Now, normally I would have just took that animal off them. Yeah, it's great. I'll get it sorted, all that sort of stuff. But they had an active love for that animal. You could really see how heartbroken they were that they were they had decided to sell it. Well, if they can keep it and get it back onto food, and that that just makes me – it's a rewarding feeling. Do you know what I mean? It really is just to see them go that extra step with their animal. Totally. And, and, and a situation like that is fantastic because the animal stays there. It's not an animal that ends up in the home of somebody who doesn't really care about it or, or wanted it for two weeks and then got tick sick of it and whatnot. And uh, I think that's amazing. That's one thing you do find with um, pet snakes for first-time owners. They sort of, or some people, they sort of get it as a show off to their friends, right. so to speak. I tend to see quite a lot of that. And um, it's hard to see that, especially after the initial joy of them's worn off. And it's, I'm expecting that to happen a lot more um, sort of February to after Christmas. I imagine some people are going to get them for Christmas and then lose interest. Uh, so I'm preparing myself for that one, so to speak. We should be able to get a few animals um in get them find them loving homes so to speak yeah Uh, yeah, that'd be quite nice to do yeah the the if you're not completely obsessed with the animal it's easy to become bored by them i'm sure like for me i like i could never get rid of one of my animals but but for some people they like you said they want to show their friends that it's a cool snake and then they get tired of you know caring for it and whatnot right now in your collection how you have a fairly large collection what do you have oh I've shrunken the collection down quite a bit um, lately to be over the past sort of four months. I've slowly shrunk it down uh, just because I I want to care for them individually. I'll go into that one a bit later. But I think right now I've got two boa constrictors. I've got a common boa constrictor and a Carl Sunglow boa constrictor. I've got my Savannah monitor, Hugo. Funny story behind his name. Um, You've all all heard of Hugo Boss uh, aftershave. That's right, yeah. In Europe, a savannah monitor, a savannah monitor is called um, a Bosque monitor. So Hugo Bosque, it just suits him. It's a good name. <laughs> uh, with, yeah, I thought I thought it was quite witty, but I tell people now, and they're like, Did "You just get that look of blankness." It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, We've got arts. Oh, what else have we got? Right, we've got three adult leopard geckos. That's two female breeders and a male breeder. Uh, currently, right now, I think we've got six baby leopard geckos. Uh, we're raising up a little bit at the moment. They're not big enough to find homes for. Um, we've got loads of invertebrates. Uh, we've got bearded dragon, a couple of tarantulas, um, an amazing giant centipede, a Vietnamese centipede, a couple of pokey, Lithuria regalis, arboreal tarantulas, uh, millipedes, um, royal python. And then here, because uh, I'm at my partner's house at the minute, we've got there's an enclosure just behind me. That's got a nice tarantula inside it. Uh, we've got another royal python downstairs. That was another finicky eating royal python. When I first started coming here, it was in sort of just the three foot of vivarium, hot spot, cold side, and a water bowl. Um, and it was in that enclosure because it was going off food. Every time you put something new in there, it would just go off its food. But then it was hard to get it back onto its food. It would only ever take chicks. And uh, when you eventually did get it back on food, it would just be chicks. That's all it would have. Um, give it anything else it regurgitate or it just wouldn't take it it just shy off so um, I changed that one up to a naturalistic setting again went off its food so I've had to go back to basics with that enclosure but I've managed to get it to have 
two hides in its in its enclosure and it still feeds. Um, so I think the next step, let it get used to that setup for a bit and then try and rejuvenate it up a little bit. We'll try and put a UVB lighting in there. It went off its food. Um, it just goes, but she's nine years old. She's a stubborn nine-year-old and she's never known anything different to that. So it's, I'd, I'd like to give her that little bit more enrichment inside the enclosure because she comes out all the time and has a stretch and we play with her. But for in vivid enrichment, that's just something I want to try and eventually add. But with Royal Python, she can't just chuck it in because they'll just go off their food. Yeah, it's got to be and, a slow, uh, slow move. That's, that's it. I mean, we've been changing it for seven, eight months now. And it's just it's slowly getting there. But I don't think it'll be there perfectly how I want it to be a pretty enclosure and to give her what I what I would recommend is a perfect enclosure. She doesn't like that. <laughs> She's a typical Royal Python. And you've got a Brachypalma Hamori. Um, Brazilian Redney uh, tarantula. I think that's that's everything so far. There's probably one or two things I'm missing out here and there. Yeah. Obviously, I've got all my live food breeding going on, all my dubia roaches, my superworms, uh, and all that sort of stuff. But they're just big colonies. Yeah, yeah. So you have like a full time job caring for those animals. You have that's a, that's oh, a yeah. pretty big collection. Yeah. So, so then, at some point, you you have your collection back in, in your new home and then you just, or I guess at this point you've already started YouTube, right? You started YouTube earlier on yeah. and then you had I started a YouTube a year before that. So why did you start an YouTube initially? Um, cause I couldn't find the information that I wanted when I first got my first reptile, which was bearded dragon, Diego, I've still got him. He's amazing. Um, I couldn't find the information that I was satisfied about listening to I'd, I'd want a specific answer to a specific question and i get that information but i wouldn't trust that information it just seemed a bit untrue and from and again from what i found out through those times way back then is people were repeating information that they'd learned on a youtube video the year before take brumation for instance all the videos I've seen on brumation is the same information year after year after year. And technology has moved on information, science, absolutely everything has moved on. But yet these videos are still informing the old way of doing things. So um, that's one of the reasons why I started because I wanted that specific answer and nobody was giving it me. If I wanted that answer, somebody else might want that answer. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. It's something I never thought of before that it's the YouTube can become a massive echo chamber in a lot of ways. Like if you're learning from a video and then you go make a care sheet video, you're just using the information that you got from it. It's one of the reasons I don't enjoy making too many care videos is because a lot of it's already out there and you're exactly right. They're just getting it from another source. That's also on YouTube. That's the thing. I mean, take for instance, your um, podcast, John Courtney Smith podcast that you had. I learned so much from that and that then in, piqued my interest in this way and that way and this way so i've had to go off and research all these different things and i found out so much on the little things and why aren't we doing that in the reptile hobby oh wait some people are doing that but it's nobody's there to get it out there sort of thing it's fascinating some of the stuff we learn and there is a few people out there giving the information out just not as many as there should be uh, yeah yeah but then you you fall into the um the trap of all these people, are, like the UVB lighting for, say, a corn snake, you know it, it does benefit. I know it does benefit. A lot of other people, John Courtney Smith and a few of these other people, they know it benefits. But you try telling somebody who's had a corn snake for 20 years and it's perfectly healthy, you try telling him, no, you're doing it, you're doing it a bit different. Times have moved on. You've got to put a, you, you could do with putting UVB in there because it benefits this way. 
he looks at you and just say, you don't know what you're talking about. You can't, you can't teach an old dog new tricks um, to an extent. Yeah, that's the tricky part. So it's good when you have channels like yourself where you're trying to capture new people to the hobby and pre- presenting new like, updated information, up, information that's not 20 years old. Like you said at the very beginning, when your friend got his first uh, bearded dragon, it was a totally different setup than we would do now. Like now you'd look at it and go, oh my God, what's wrong with you guys? But that exactly. was however many years ago and, and that's that was the, the norm then. So it's so important that advancing is happening, especially... Uh, in the, in the care guides and, and on the personalities on YouTube who are giving information to new people. That's the thing. We're coming into a big shift. I, I think we're coming into a big shift in the uh, reptile hobby at the moment and shifting slightly into uh, well, a lot more into enrichment on some ways that you wouldn't really imagine. I mean, like I'm playing around with a new piece of equipment at the moment to do with UVB lighting for bearded dragons and savannah monitors, anything that needs like a 12% sort of UVB lighting. Um, where you get a sunrise in the morning and then you get that higher peak in the middle of the day and then a sunset at night as well. Uh, So that added sunrise and sunset enrichment and how that's going to try and improve my animal. um, It's just something I'm playing around with at the moment. I've got the product and it's in. What are you using? What product is that, if you don't mind me asking? I'm curious about Uh, that. That's um, Reptile Systems. They've got a a T5 Illuminaire and they've not done a lot of publications about it, to be honest. Uh, but I've got it, um, and I'm playing with it now and just seeing how it goes. But it's it's a cool piece of kit, actually. It's just a UVB holder, like a canopy top on top of your exoterras, but it goes inside your wooden enclosure. It runs with a 6% UVB ball and a 12% UVB ball, but they're both on two separate plugs. There's no big bulky starter boxes or anything. So you can set those two different plugs up at two different times. Just with the plug-in timers in your wall, just set them on at different times. Your 6% comes on first. And then your 12% will come on, but your 6% will go off. So you've got 12% UVB. Middle of the day, the 6% will come on as well. So you've got the extra UVB down. I've got loads of cover if he wants to go and get cover. But then again, at nighttime, you can drop it down to just the 6% UVB bulbs on and let it taper off that way. It's just something I'm playing around with just to see if it, I can see a noticeable uh, difference in my bearded dragon, whether it be in appearance or his activity or his feeding response i just want to see a see if there is going to be a noticeable difference or if it is just a gimmick sort of thing yeah and uh, you know, it's interesting because it's i i did something similar with my day gecko is i made a, a kind of a simulating sunrise and sunset by timing some of the bulbs and i also put a one of those smart bulbs that actually allows you to ramp the light up from basically zero percent to 100 percent, and that comes on and off at the end of the day and for one, it's fun for me. Like I enjoy working on that project and creating this. And two, it, it adds a different dimension to the enclosure because I can come in early in the morning or late in the evening and it has like that twilight or, or dawn type lighting. It's like a, a nice warm light. And whether or not she's reacted to it, I don't know. Like she seems to be active during those times. Um, it, But the thing is, it, it can't be wrong because that's what happens outside. So it's not like exactly. it's going to affect her negatively to have the lights come on and off uh, slowly. And it, it's it's just cool. And like you said, there's so many new ways that we can start advancing and finding different areas that, that we can enrich their lives that we never thought of before. But that's you, you've got to look at it on an open scale because there's, there is an issue that I'm trying to find answers for at the moment. And I can't seem to find them anywhere regarding morphs. Say, for instance, I've got my leopard geckos, my blazing blizzard leopard gecko. It's all white. Now, in the wise words of John Courtney Smith, if an animal is in the wild and he is exposed to that light, 
then his body will have a defense against that UVB light. If you've got a morph that's like a blazing blizzard or a patternless or something like that, has that skin got the def same defense as a normal morphed leopard gecko? And I'm trying to just work on that one at the moment, trying to see that's um, a, if That's it a does. great question. Because you have to imagine that the dark patches on a wild-type leopard gecko are designed as a defense to the UV. And when you pull those out, it would be like putting you or I in the sun without sunscreen. Like, we're going to get sunburned. Well, that's, well, that's it. Same with um, tattoos. I've noticed in the sun, my darker tattoos get... I can feel the, the warmth through the darker tattoos more than I can when there's no huh. tattoos. Is that going to be a replication to the actual leopard geckos in the wild? That's interesting. That that's a whole other area of morphs that I've never. I mean, that really only comes into play when we talk about lighting and UV, which we should be part of the conversation anyway. And and if we start thinking, okay, all animals need UV, even the nocturnal ones, that is like a whole different area, especially for ball pythons. Like there's so many ball pythons that that are totally different colors than they should be in the wild. That's interesting. That's a really really creative way to think about it. If you ever come up with any more information on that. I know you've got some good contacts. Let me know because I'm struggling to find any scientific um, background to it. We're always talking about trying to find and replicate the natural, the natural lights, everything to do with the, the actual wild. But we've always been looking at it for normal morphs. We've never really been looking at it for actual color mutations of that species. It's just going to be interesting to see if somebody does come up with the scientific results for that. Yeah, well, we'll put the question out there to any of the listeners. And if anybody is into uh, into doing any scientific research, that would be incredibly interesting to look into for sure. Uh, so uh, so at this point, you know, that's a great reason to start your YouTube. You're, you're trying to add some more information to the Internet that's fresh and new and, you know, up to date with the science. And then I know about a year ago, you decided to actively make a change with your channel. I think you were just wanted to take it more seriously. Can you tell me what that change was or why you decided to make the change? Um, there wasn't really a single reason. Um, I actively enjoyed it, but not so much putting videos out. I actually actively enjoyed learning a new thing, something different because again, I was in my flat on my own most, most of the time. And, um, I, I know how to do my job. I know how to do this and I know how to do that, but what don't I know? I was, I was bored. I was, I wanted to increase my knowledge. I was always increasing my knowledge regarding new reptile care and stuff but to get that distance away from everything and focus on something totally different i just thought why not give it a go and i did i learned about filming editing different angles camera tricks all that sort of stuff and then i dived a lot more into actual youtube analytics and i, I find it fascinating learning all the little bits and bobs to do with the actual analytics and it's good with youtube you can actually go through into the studio beta and you can look at all the digits and all the numbers and you can see what videos are bringing in subscribers, what are bringing in watch time, and what, pe what people are actively enjoying. And But on the flip side to that as well, I've put a video out there and then other people, a lot more smarter than me, come back at me and say, well, actually, no, that one little piece, you're doing that a little bit wrong. It needs to be this. And I think, hold on a second. So I'll go off and look into that a bit more detailed. And then I've learned from that as well. I do find that extremely fascinating. Like my roach chow, I make dubia roach food. And I was doing it slightly wrong. I was putting a little bit too much protein into it. And then they'd, they'd say, you're doing that a little bit wrong. You're putting too much protein in. Um, well, why am I putting too much protein in? What, what 
downsides does having that protein in. I thought I was doing good by putting the protein in because it was helping the dubia roaches grow from babies. But no, having too much protein gives your animal gout. That's something I didn't look into properly. What goes into your dubia roaches that goes into your animals is right. going to benefit your animals as well. But then I'm also looking in down the line of can you feed your dubia roaches one thing to add a slightly different flavor to it for the animals? I've not dived all into that. That was just a, an idea that I look, thought about. We have different flavored stuff. Why can't they? <laughs> Treating yeah, exactly. them as a bit of a pet. Totally. And, you know, it's it's so important that as someone who's making videos, because it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking because you're putting something online, you must be an expert and know everything 100%. And I think a lot of YouTubers fall into that trap where they are afraid to make a mistake or say something wrong to the point where they will refuse everything that people say that, they're, that they've done wrong and, and try to make themselves look like they're the expert. But if, it's actually a lot more relieving to just set back and say, you know, I, I don't know everything 100%. This is the way I do it. And if there's a better way, somebody please let me know. So there's it, the, the online communication and knowledge is growing rather than you have these people that build walls say, I know everything because I'm popular because I'm on YouTube. Yeah, no, you've got it. I'm no expert. I've watched people like your podcast where you you speak to people that are far more intelligent than me. And I'll learn that way. And I, I advise everybody to do their research, research, but research different to what you would. That's sort of blow your research up instead of how to care for a ball python look into their area and then look at the weather changes throughout the entire year on that area look at the humidity levels throughout the entire year look at photos but when you're looking at a picture of a wild ball python don't look at just the ball python look at the surrounding area around it do you blow your research up you'll learn so much more if you're looking at the natural habitat especially for the natural habitat and it's just it's mind-blowing some of the stuff you actually do see like the leopard geckos the range that they li they live in is mind-blowing they could live in sort of arid scrublands right the way into a slightly humid forest that it's just mind-blowing some of the stuff you can see online yeah no I th it's always the best place to start in my opinion when you're getting or thinking about getting a new animal is just go look at pictures of the habitat like start there what does it look like what are you actually going to be trying to replicate in your home weather patterns climate at all obviously is attached to that and which is totally different than reading a care sheet because care sheet that's sort it. of separates it from their wild habitat that's it i'm not i'm not saying anything bad about the care sheets because the care sheets are fascinating the they're a world of knowledge. Say, for instance, you've gone to a reptile expo and you always go there and say you're not going to buy something. Some, occasionally you come back with an impulse buy. Those care sheets, they help you out instantly. They know all the details. But there are some differences that you see. Take, for instance, a bull python and a savannah monitor. They come from the same place near enough. But a savannah monitor needs a hotspot of around about 135. But your bull python doesn't. And it's... it's it works out that the ball python is because it's nocturnal mainly and it's underground, um, whereas the savannah monitor's out and about all over the place. So that's why the temperature is slightly different. It's just you, the care sheets are good. Any research you do, if you can pick up what you oh, – hold on a second. Not everybody has said that. I'll dive deeper into that and see if it's actually true. Research is the way to go forward with any exotic pet, any pet, for instance. Yeah. Oh, totally. And obviously you've made, you, you, you sort of put a little more energy into production of your YouTube videos and you did see a pretty quick response in terms of obviously, you know, subscribers are going up, views are going up. I'm sure that is gratifying. Oh, it's yeah. I've done, I, I checked it yesterday. Um, 2,700, um, subscribers in the last 365 days. 
I was mind blown at that. But it's nice to see the graphs going instead of just steadily going up to shooting up. That's mind blowing. The biggest change I did was sit and work out like what do people want to watch. And then I thought, well, when I was new to the hobby, because the majority of my footage is for people that are new to the hobby. Um, what did I search for? What did I want to know? So I'm making a load of those videos and they seem to be doing quite well, but I'm speaking it in terms that I wanted to hear it in. And it's, they all seem to be doing really, really well over time, slowly, gradually going. Sometimes a video can sit fairly neutral and then all of a sudden shoot up. I don't know how YouTube do that, but all of a sudden they shoot straight up and it's, it's a strange one. But I'm dead happy with my growth on YouTube. I'm hoping to go a bit bigger. That'll be even better because then if I do make any more financial gain out of YouTube, that's just going to go straight back into me helping reptile rescues because I do take in a fair few animals over the years. Yeah, so let's talk about the rescues a little bit because that was one of the things we definitely wanted to touch base on. I know that you do pull in animals once in a while into your own home and, and, and quarantine and take care of them. And, and also you've kind of identified a, a problem with Facebook as well that's recent. So maybe you can kind of jump into that just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I take in animals. It's no secret or anything. I do take in animals quite regularly. I try, I, I'm very specific about what animals I would take in and why I take them in, so to speak. Um, like I mentioned earlier, that royal python, that the owners absolutely loved him. So I'll keep him with that owner, just help him. And now that one's thriving perfectly fine. So there's some animals that need to come out of there where they are now because they're just not being cared for. That person wants to actively just get rid of it because it's in the way. Um, take that animal in and just sort of rehabilitate it. I'm quite lucky uh, because I'm regular with my vet. Uh, to the point now where first name terms with the vet, she comes, she actively comes out to my house to do the yearly vet checks on every single one of my animals. It's easier for her to come out to me than it is for me to cart all these to her. Of course, and that's amazing. It works out. If if there's anything that needs to be done in, in a clinical state in the actual veterinary clinic, then they'll off they go. We'll take them in and check them out. Um, regards actual rescues. They all go down. The first thing I do, the first day I get them straight down to the vets, get them checked over because a vet can spot something I can't spot. Whether, whether they're looking in the mouth and spot something or just the slender of them, the weight of them, they, they can just spot stuff that I can't. And uh, we just go from there. Every, animal's, every animal, every rescue, absolutely everyone's got a different story. They all need different requirements. Um, my latest one, uh, Mushu, we've called it, the kids have fallen in love with her with him so um, we've got to keep him <laughs> normally I've, i'll get an animal in rescue it rehabilitate it find it a loving home i'll put that animal on my youtube channel people get attached to that animal on the channel and it's nice to see them go off to a forever home where they're going to be loved uh, we just had a big boa constrictor that's gone out that's got a new home now and he, he's being she's being loved that loved by an absolutely amazing couple and it's a free roam boa constrictor it's an adult boa constrictor female she's a big girl and they've got a full room for her massive basking area the ambient temperatures are where it should be and she's just out she's up all over the place she's loving it um mushu the one we've got downstairs that one was a funny one because we didn't get much information on that to start with we just the wife got a picture on facebook um does anybody know what this is oh yeah i sent i told him yeah it's this or i think it's this i thought it was a mountain horn dragon to start with it was just a rough picture uh, does anybody want it i've just found it at work I'm like, oh, it's a released pet. That takes us into the Facebook story. Facebook recently, or not so recently, a few months back now, 
uh, stopped the sale of reptiles online. I can understand why they've done it. Hobbyist breeders, people breed for the wrong reasons, whatever. Um, they stopped the sale of reptiles, just point blank stopped it. Any reptile selling pages, they just blocked them off. The first time I saw that, I initially thought, oh, no, a lot more pets are going to be released into the wild. And um, that has happened. I've heard loads of rumors going around. I've, I've seen loads of animals out there, um, especially in the UK. The reptiles can't last in our wild. They just can't at all. Um, I thought Mushu had been released into the wild uh, as a released pet. Turns out she wasn't. Turns out it was um, he works at a big wood factory where they bring in a load of wood, get it cut up into the right size. Off we go. Uh, they opened a container that come from South Asia and out popped this little lizard. That raised a few concerns because that would supposed to be fumigated and stuff like that, but it just jumped out. And I'm sat there thinking it's took them a week to get that wood from where it's originally from to here. That animal's been in the, in transit that long. The the temperature shift, or everything's just going to throw this animal off. But then we had the trouble of what do we do regarding quarantine? Uh, this animal is if it's a wild animal, it's coming to the country. We had the what do we do for quarantine or can we legally keep this animal? That was a big one. So we went, sent off loads of pictures. We got this. We didn't know what species it was. It just, it didn't look like anything that I'd ever seen before. So we sent off a load of pictures to some more, far more intelligent people. Uh, got the, got it back. It's a Calots versicolor, beautiful species, especially in breeding season, bright red throat, red, uh, blue legs, just look absolutely stunning. Um, we had to quarantine it. We sent off the pictures. We got it back and um, we could keep it. It wasn't a threatened species in the wild or anything like that. So we could actually keep it. And we were actively told you must keep it because it's going to cost us too much to send it back to where it's come from. And if you do donate it to us, we'll just anesthetize it because it's too much to send it back. So you must keep it. They actively told me to keep it. Regarding quarantine, you know, quarantine setup is the bare minimum sterile setup. I needed a fecal sample off this lizard to send it to the vets to get it checked for parasites with it being a wild animal. If it doesn't feed in a sterile enclosure, how am I going to get a fecal sample? If it goes into that, it's not used to it. It's just like being living in a cage, a box. Uh, so we went sort of a semi-naturalistic but fairly bare enclosure. And we got a fecal sample off it. It did eventually eat. We had to struggle with it eating as well because it's used to all of its natural food in the wild and in captivity we can't find those foods um so i ended up actually getting it on wax worms thanks to a good friend of mine for that tip and um took a wax worm a few days later we had a fecal test straight down to the um vets got that checked clean clean as a whistle no parasites no nothing it was clean wow. that shocked me that then made me question whether it actually was a wild animal and it's just, it's got a big story behind that. And I still, I don't know 100%, but it had a clean fecal test, which wow. shocked me. So now we've still got it in that fairly bioactive, fairly basic setup at the moment, just to still keep an eye on it. But it gained its weight perfectly fine. It's now at a perfect weight. It's um, no longer dehydrated because it did come in extremely dehydrated. We're struggling with it on the food side. We've only managed to get it on butterworms and waxworms. It won't touch anything else yet. Uh, so I've got to work on that, try and get it. But he's going to be staying with us now. Normally I'll find a new home for these rescues, but he's going to be staying with us uh, until he's the end of his life. He's going to spend it with us no matter what. But I do think Facebook stopping the 
sale of animals is going to result in more animals being released into the wild. People are addicted to Facebook. I know my wife, my wife is, she's massively addicted to Facebook. And if that's people's only means of the reptile community, that's the only way they know how to pass on their animals. If they can't, if they haven't got that no more, where, where else are they going to put their animals when it's become too much for them? Right. Yeah. As an, as an animal or reptile enthusiast, it seems like how could anybody release an animal into the wild? But people do it all the time. It's not like from our point of view, it's hard to understand, but it's a very common thing. And it's super sad. It's somewhere like in Canada or the UK, like you said, these animals will not even survive the fall. That's it. Exactly that. I mean, how many animals get released that we never see? You hear the odd horror story here and there, but if an animal's been released, it's going to find somewhere to hide. It's a new environment. It's going to go and find somewhere to hide. Are you, if it's too cold instantly, it's just, that's his life gone. Unless someone finds it. Luckily, with Mushu downstairs, uh, he was found by a reptile enthusiast. A reptile enthusiast, he took it back to his house. His wife said, no, 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 no. And then they contacted us and off we go. <laughs> um, but they're not going to last in the wild. So do you Unless think you're in the Florida Everglades. Yes, that's a whole different story altogether. <laughs> exactly, then it creates the opposite problem, which is just as bad, really. Exactly. Is there is there a solution, like in terms of your YouTube channel or YouTube audience? Are you doing something to try to help solve this problem? The fact that we can't move animals on Facebook anymore. Awareness. I've done a video. Um, the very first video to do with Mushu, actually, um, I think I titled it "The Reptile Rescue Mission." Um, and this goes out to all the listeners. If you've got any sort of um, social media following or, and you're an animal lover, what? just make a simple post, a quick video, anything like that, telling people where your local reptile rescues are or where if, you've, if you can no longer look after that animal, how it deserves, where people can take it to. I mean, I'm quite lucky. I mean, I've managed to find for five or six different places locally. I've put it out there. And it's amazing how many p views I've got from people that want to rehome their animals. It's just popped up on their news feed. So I don't know if they've Googled their Liverpool Reptile Rescue. And then the next day they've gone onto YouTube and mine's just there on the recommended. And that's helped out quite a few people. So if you, I'd advise anybody, if, you, if you're an animal lover, stick a simple post on just telling the local people where your local reptile rescues are. And that, even if it just saves one animal's life, that's a success. Yeah, totally. And I, and I also think it's great that doing some of that almost in-home rehab where you, asking the questions why somebody wants to get rid of them is super important because like you said, you might find that they're just frustrated and they feel like they're failing with the animal so they're just giving up on them. And they're not even giving up on it. They're just feeling bad for the animal because they're not able to care for it so they just want to get rid of it. But there might be something that education-wise that you can give them some tools to actually end up keeping the animal. Well, that's it. It could be something as simple as a humidity spike. Give them a bit more humidity. Give them a little less humidity. Um, the temperatures could be slightly off. The animal could just simply be bored. It's as simple as that. If you've just got typical rub species, keeping them in little tubs, uh, they, they could just simply be bored. Give them a bit of enrichment every now and then. Not Don't just go from nothing to fully bioactive because that could go the other way. They might go totally off their food and it might be adding more frustration. Do your research. There's always something that can be done. Failing that, if you really are worried about your animal, go to the vets. Exotic vets these days are 
nowhere near as expensive as what they used to be. Um, I can take the dog to the vets and it costs me £35 just for a checkup. I take my bearded dragon for a checkup and it's the same price. A checkup, a vet will know a lot more about the health of the animal than you will. You can obviously see it in the movements. You can tell when he's sick. They'll be able to tell you why he's sick, what's going wrong. You can have a look around on YouTube and find various other videos of, that may help you. Maybe a slightly different way you're doing things. You could change this one little thing. It might help. If it doesn't help, try something else. If it doesn't help, reptiles are quite hardy. They can be quite fragile as well. So it's always worth going to a vet instead of self-diagnosing. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. And so I know that you you were earlier you had mentioned that you downsized your collection a little bit, and that was to focus more on adding some of those more enrichment features and, and taking more, uh, maybe a more individualized focus on on each animal. So can you tell me a little bit about that and sort of those decisions that you made? Oh yeah, um, I, I had loads of animals at one point, far too many to far too many, so that I can't I couldn't spend the amount of time I wanted on each individual species. I wanted to let because everyone says boa constrictor. Oh yeah, that's this, this, and this. Every single animal is different. They've all got their own little different personality traits. They they all do things slightly different. Just like we as humans, we've all got personality traits. I want to learn everything about each individual animal that I keep, and I want to do the best I possibly can for caring for them for each individual animal. So I'm in that change at the moment where I'm bigger enclosures but then working out the correct heating for the enclosures because you need to have the proper gradient going all the way through. You can't just have a hot spot a foot later, that's it, it's cold side, and then you've got all that dead space down there at the wrong temperature. So it's about getting the proper gradients, uh, the proper plant species for the bioactive setups. And then the, uh, one that I'm struggling with is an arid bioactive cleanup crew. We can all use springtails. Springtails are extremely hardy, but to find something that they would have in the wild and actually get that here safely where it's not carrying any parasites or anything that will pass on to your bearded dragon or whatever like that um, i want to concentrate on my each individual animal as best i possibly can and learn everything about them because it takes an awful long time to learn every little detail in detail um, about every animal so it's just i want to spend more time with each individual one rather than just having four boa oh yeah i've got four boa constrictors well no i've now got two boa constrictors one of them is something that i'm not allowed to say on online <laughs> the other one she's a sweetheart the other one's an absolute sweetheart but he's not <laughs> yeah so and then finding ways to sort of why is he being like that how can i adjust that so that he will be a lot more friendlier and then work and then i've got the extra time then to work on him the others are perfectly fine at the moment work on him get him more handleable so to speak yeah well it's so it's so easy in the reptile industry to end up having more animals than you can care for because they can be very simple if you do like the cookie cutter basics and I I have six animals and I think I caught myself right before I would have expanded my collection plus I'm I don't have a lot of space which is kind of nice because I've sort of had to restrict my collection in that sense but doing the podcast like I learned so much from all these people then that's what put the brakes on it's like whoa wait a minute it takes a lot more effort to properly care for each one than I initially thought while I was adding animals to my collection and uh it, it can take a lot to, to decide to cut down the collection, but as long as you're making sure the animals go to good homes and that they're going to be caring for them in the same way that you care for them, then, then it really is the ethical thing to do. I went, um, I did go 
a little bit too much than what I could initially handle the way I wanted to handle it. Um, so I think I rehomed two boa constrictors and a Royal Python. But the Royal Python, he went to a gentleman, old school gentleman, who's he's had his one snake his whole life and he's just passed away. And he was dead heartbroken. And I met him. Where did I meet him? In the park. He was walking his dog and I just started talking to him. I had a, a reptile shirt on. And then we just started talking. Two hours passed and I was like, I've got this bull python. Would you like it? And I gave him a full setup. He he knew everything, all the modern day sorts of information, because he just kept on top of it all the time. He was fascinated by the new technologies that were coming out, not just with reptiles, but with everything. Um, so I was more than happy for him to have that raw python, more than happy. Uh, one of the big boa constrictors, she came in as a rescue, so naturally she was going to get rehomed anyway. Uh, but do you know what? It took best part of two months to find a home for her that was suitable there was people that were going to keep him keep her in um a six foot enclosure yeah i've got a six foot enclosure send me a picture and it's a six foot enclosure and that's it uh, that's not good enough she she's better looked after with me even though i can't provide all the time i want to to her she's better with me at the moment and so it took me a long time to find a perfect home for her and then one of the other boa constrictors she went to my family member and her, she, she's um, got basically a wardrobe on its side and another one put on top of it. And they've built this whole big elaborate enclosure, all arboreal. So she's up in the trees all the time. That's a beautiful enclosure. And she's feeding better than she ever has as well, which is amazing. But when she goes to the toilet and she's up in the trees, <clears throat> that's a mess. Yeah, <laughs> Unless I'm glad I'm not cleaning up at the moment. She's huge now. Uh, but because they're up in the trees and doing all this activity, a lot of people don't realize that the amount of space you can provide safely, so you've got the proper heat gradient and lighting gradients, the more exercise they're getting, the more muscle mass they're building. I mean, you know what muscle mass, how important muscle mass can be. And it's just they're constantly moving, burning calories, and it's solid muscle now rather as opposed to what you'd see a big boa constrictor that's chubby. It's just fascinating to see all that sort of stuff, yeah. where they're going and the proper way of doing things. And it's so rewarding as a keeper as well. And in the UK, do you, you guys have some rules and regulations when it comes to the standards of care? Is that right? Only recently, um, sort of like the past few months. Um, no, not the past, about two years ago, a lot of laws came out regarding in snakes enclosures. It wasn't reptile enclosures. It was specifically snake enclosures. Um, yeah, but I still don't think those enclosures are big enough. But your enclosure has got to be two-thirds the length of the actual snake it, it was so broad but yet so pinnacle and um, a lot of the arid species of lizards say euromastics stuff that you wouldn't really have a water bowl in because of the humidity uh, by law we've now got to have a water bowl in there uh, the animal rights law is the animal should have water access to fresh water at all times which is understandable for an arid species where it gets its water or its moisture through the bugs and the plant life that it does eat, it's a bit different. So this, it's all up in air at the moment. It's, Interesting. Um, we've got a lot of laws regarding, not so much laws, but our biggest, our only reptile show, Doncaster Reptile Show, the IHS, uh, they've brought some new regulations in where they can't sell certain morphs. Um, I'd love your opinion on this, actually. Uh, the spider gene, we've, heard, we've all heard a lot of talk about the spider gene, well, that's originated from the UK because the IHS has banned the sale of the spider gene, but not much. At the very same time, they banned the enigma gene for, for leopard geckos 
and the jungle jag carpet python. Uh, I don't know much about the jungle jag carpet python sort of thing, but it's all neurological issues. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear your feedback on that sometime and your viewers' feedback. Well, um, the, yeah, I mean, the, for the jungle jag is the same. It's the same genetic mutation that you find on the spider. It's basically the same thing. It creates the pattern difference, and then yeah, the same head wobble happens. And and in terms of my opinion, I think I I I don't agree with continuing to perpetuate uh, morphs that create neurologic neurological issues. It just it doesn't make sense. And I know that I mean, people will argue that uh, it doesn't affect them that much, but the it you you wouldn't different do that. scales of it, isn't there? Yeah, and so in in terms of what I always say is if we bred dogs that couldn't keep their balance, we wouldn't continue to breed them because they couldn't walk straight and it would look horrible. But with snakes... That's um, a whole different one altogether with pug dogs and stuff like that. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, that's true. There is some horrible breeding that goes along with those things as well. But with snakes... I'm on the same page with you. I don't like the genetic mutations where it's um, a problem, but they're... They're held at such high regard, especially with breeders. But why? I don't understand it. It's, it's You're making an animal that's naturally sick. It's, it's always going to be like that. Why? It's just one of those, I think, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and it, I, you hear all sorts of sort of strange arguments and, and sort of I, I hear you hear breeders saying all the time, like, does this mean that anybody with a neurological disorder like doesn't deserve to be alive? It's like, well, no, it, it just means if 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 people were breeding humans knowingly creating neurological disorders, that would be a conversation to be had. And it's that's not it. so that's different than, you know, an anomaly showing up. If you breed a clutch of ball pythons and and one randomly has a neurological disorder, no problem. Let's take care of that. But if you're yeah. perpetuating that over and over and over again, then the conversation needs to be had. So it's it's and the only reason they're doing it is for a color mutation. Exactly. Yeah. There's Racist not a lot of value. Snakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh, so I think some of those things. I know that the whole spider thing that that created a big spike of controversy in, in the UK when that came out, and and I, I don't know if that's going to happen in North America or things along those lines, but. Like you said, we're starting to see people become more engaged in the enrichment and sizes and realize that more space is better as long as you create the proper environment. More space is not better if you create a gymnasium and leave nothing in there, but more space is better if you replicate that environment. And uh, it's nice to see that. Of course, there's going to be pushback. Yeah, always. I'd love to, um, one of my dream species is going to be a mangrove snake. I just find them so fascinating and the color on them is absolutely beautiful. I'm not a fan of their temperament or their typical temperament, but some of the enclosures that you can make for that specific species, it, you probably won't see it around a lot. It's uh, predominantly a nocturnal feeding species, but you can make a really nice piece of nature inside a beautiful enclosure with a beautiful animal inside it. That's the reason I like reptiles, I guess. You can have that slice of nature inside your house. Yeah, and, and that is the most rewarding thing to do. And some people don't, don't become they don't get in touch with creating the nature because they have the rack system and the paper towel but i think that if you expose them to how fun it is to create a slice of nature they will oh my god i can't believe i've been missing this this whole time that's something i was just about to jump on top of you see the people that don't that say they don't they prefer the racks and all this sort of you'll probably find they have never had a mature bioactive enclosure perfect example for a big name here uh, brian barcheck massive breeder promoted the rack system for years and years and years 
so often. I mean, I do watch them occasionally uh, just because it's entertaining. It's nice to see some of those animals and those species. But now he's got his new place, uh, the Reptarium, I think he's called it. And it's all naturalistic rock and it looks absolutely beautiful. The monitors, the mo some of the monitor enclosures with all the rock work inside there. And now he spends the majority of, of his videos now in the Reptarium. And he's constantly talking about all this and how he's training this animal. And you can see a shift in him as a person, 20 years breeding in rack systems to now being in the Reptarium. And now he's bought a new building for another Reptarium. And you can really see the shift there. So hopefully that'll help bring people over to the naturalistic setups. If anything, that would be amazing to see more setups done, done correctly. Um, talking along the lines of, was it Josh you had from the bio dude talking about the methane gases in the substrate? Right. I never knew that even existed mm -hmm. until then. And Me now the amount, of, <laughs> the amount of research I've done into that, especially regarding my Pac-Man frogs, where they take in a lot of their, their nutrients through the substrate. If they're taking in that gas as well, so I'm really, and I was always a big avid of making making my own substrates i always used to do it especially for my savannah monitor where he's got two ton of substrate in his enclosure it's cheaper for me to make it i'll make it now i'm sat there thinking hold on a second how am i going to test that i want to test that substrate now so i'm constantly turning the substrate over now which is a weird one because it's not staying compact now whereas i need it compact to hold his burrows so i'm making man-made burrows but I'm paranoid about methane and me substrates now. <laughs> no, I, I know me too. Like as he said that on the show is when I learned that as well. So I was like, oh my gosh, I definitely have the, especially my crested geckos where I had that just coconut husk or coconut fiber kind of just sitting there. And for him, it's okay because he doesn't really spend much time, but I did change it out and I, you know, gave fresh substrate that doesn't allow that. So yeah, there's proper ways to do it. And, and the enrichment is, is so exciting because you see these different behaviors that you don't, you wouldn't see otherwise. That's one thing I've noticed since, I mean, I've always done bioactive, but I started bioactivity with my dart frogs I, just because it was normal for dart frogs to go bioactive. That's the done thing. Uh, so then I started doing it on a few other species. I've got my bearded dragon. He's going bioactive this year, but I'm trying to find an amazing arid sort of substrate. And it's so hard to find an arid substrate in the UK that can be used as bioactive. I can't find one. I'm petrified of making my own one because I, I did try and make my own one a few years ago, but it just got too dusty and I don't want any infections to go through his respiratory system because of the dust. So I'm just trying, if anybody knows a decent bioactive arid substrate in the, available in the UK, let me know. <laughs> yeah, because I know you're in the same boat as me. We cannot get BioDude substrates uh, in Canada or in the UK. I don't think he sells anything in the UK. And what about Arcadia has uh, some kind of arid substrate or have you looked into them? I've I've used their um, eco-arid, uh, eco-earth arid. I used that all last year uh, with my leopard geckos. I took them off that in the breeding season because I don't like to breed with loose substrate because I don't want any substrate to get sucked back into the male's hemipenes and cause issues. So I've gone to paper towel through the breeding season and then shift it back over to bioactivity. And uh, I, I did like it, but I did find it a little bit dusty. Mm, that's the trick. Yeah. I'm trying to find that sort of, if I could get like excavator clay, but a bit looser than clay, I don't want that solid firm surface because I still want plant growth, but I don't want it to be too sandy. But I don't want it to be too dusty. <laughs> but then I still got to have that that little moist corner so they can have a nice moist hide. And it's just it's really hard if you start taking into all account all the little details that you need. Finding that perfect product is hard. 
Yeah, it really well, is. The the last thirty seconds of of you talking there is is the hobby. Like the those things is what you want everybody to do. Okay, I need this. I need it to be like this, but I can't have it too warm or too humid or too moist. And and that's the scientist part in all of us that comes out. And 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 that's what the hobby is great for. And and that's where people find their most pleasure from. I think. That's it. I mean, with substrates, I've gone with Hugo, my Savannah monitor, my Bosque monitor, where there was a plant. There was a plant. He's a savannah monitor. He destroyed it in seconds. But we put a, a, a substrate in that corner where it would hold the humidity a lot more for the plant growth. But yet the rest of it was a little bit more of a – it could let the substrate air out a little bit easier to hold his burrow so that he could burrow into it and the burrow still hold its shape. But yet if you've got it to hold its shape, then the plant won't thrive very well. So I had to put something else with the plants. And it was just – over the cool, the cool side, I didn't want it to go all fungus growth or anything like that, so I had to change it a little bit there. So he's got a totally different substrate matter throughout his entire enclosure, and it's an awkward one. That's what they do in the wild, though. In the wild, they've got loads of different types of substrates. If they want to get a bit humid, they'll go into their burrow underneath a plant that's shaded so it's nice and humid under there. If they want to go somewhere a bit drier, they'll climb up a rock and get a bit drier. We have to try and replicate that in an enclosure that's this big it's hard <laughs> yeah there's a lot of moving parts and that uh but it's it's the fun part of the hobby so that's uh oh, yeah. I, thank you so much for coming on we've already we've gone over past the the hour but i'm really enjoying this conversation <laughs> so richard can you tell everybody where they can find you online um on instagram at northern exotics uk um over on my youtube channel northern exotics i reply to absolutely every single comment and i thrive myself on doing that Two o'clock in the morning, if I wake up to go and get a drink, I'll sit there replying to comments. It's, it's amazing. If you want to see anything like that, just nip over to there. And I think that's about my entire um, internet sort of, that's where you're going to find me sort of thing. Every now and then you might see me on the odd forum here and there, but I tend to look at the forums just to get my own knowledge rather than put my input unless it's needed. Yeah, makes sense. Well, your story is very inspirational. It's, there's a lot going on behind the scenes that I think a lot of people wouldn't realize. And your the whole philosophy that you have behind your channel and behind you know what you're doing in your everyday life is, is, is great. And I think especially people that follow you closely will enjoy that as well, as well as new people. So if anybody's listening that doesn't know uh, Northern Exotic, definitely go check them out. Thank you very much for coming. Uh, it, was a, it was a pleasure chatting Thank with you. Thank you for having me. And you. Thank you. All right, that is the end of another episode. Thank you very much for listening. Richard, if you're listening to this, thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate you coming on as well as sharing your personal story and also raising some really interesting questions regarding the reptile industry. I really hope that some of the listeners take those questions and, and bring them you know, out into the universe and investigate some of those things because it was really great. Thank you for being a good ambassador to the hobby, showing how important advancing is. I'm sure we will connect again in the future. If you are enjoying the podcast and want to show your support, you can go buy a shirt at animalsathome.ca slash shop. $5 does automatically get donated to the Amazon Rainforest Conservancy. You can leave a review and a rating on the iTunes podcasting app. I always appreciate those. And you can also share the content, share it on Facebook, share it with your friends and your family. That is the best way to help the show grow. Thank you very much for CustomReptileHabitats.com for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. As always, I deeply appreciate the support. I will see you guys next time.